0: Just been to see Her Majesty the Queen, who has invited me to form a government. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land.
1: Iraq collapsing, Syria collapsing,
0: Yemen collapsing, Libya collapsing, and everything else in turmoil.
1: Nothing to do with us.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Where We Are with Terence Ewell podcast that breaks down what's happening in the world and how we got here. On this week's episode, I sit down with Dr. Mark Honigsbaum, a medical journalist who explains what is this mysterious coronavirus that's been all over the news. But first, here's what happened in the world this week.
1: Today, we will consider and pass an organizing resolution that will structure the first phase of the trial.
0: The impeachment trial of President Trump started up again in the Senate this week with some impassioned opening statements.
1: President Trump
0: is accused of coercing a foreign leader into interfering in our elections to benefit himself, and then doing everything in his power to cover it up. If proved, the president's actions are crimes against democracy itself. Uh, the point of the first day back on Tuesday was to vote on the rules of the trial. So the rules proposal had been drawn up by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, but 11 times the Democrats tried to add amendments to the rules. And every time they did so, their amendment suggestion was voted down on party lines.
1: Ye- yeas are 53. The nays are 47.
0: In the end, the rules are that the House managers, its the Democrats prosecuting the case, And President Trump's lawyers will have 24 hours over three days to argue their case. And then the senators, the ones acting as the jurors here, uh, they'll have 16 hours to ask questions submitted in writing. And after all that is done, sometime next week, the Senate will vote again on whether or not to subpoena witnesses or more documents. And a few key Republicans have signaled that they might actually be up to agreeing to that. So they might be down for having some witnesses and some new evidence submitted to the trial. It's only a few days in and already senators seemed pained and bored at times with the chief justice who's running the trial uh, chastising his jurors more than once.
1: I think it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish both the House Managers and the President's Council in equal terms uh, to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. One reason it has earned that title is because its members avoid speaking in a manner and using language that is not conducive to civil discourse.
0: Thousands of protesters flooded the streets of Beirut, Lebanon's capital, earlier this week. These protests have actually been going on since October, when the government tried to introduce taxes on gas, tobacco, and internet phone calls. Uh, At the time, the protests were so vehement, with uh, tens of thousands of protesters across eight different cities, that the Lebanese prime minister at the time had no choice but to actually resign 13 days into the protests. Three months later, the protests haven't stopped. A new government was finally put in place on Tuesday, but it only added fuel to the fire. Prime Minister Hassan Diab said that the new cabinet, which comes from a lot of political elites and supporters of the Iranian-backed group Hezbollah, which I talked about a bit on the Shadow War episode, was just a rescue team, and um, they would try to meet the protesters' demands. Protesters say this isn't the kind of reform they were looking for. Part of what's causing so much unrest in Lebanon is that the country has been suffering from the worst economic crisis since the civil war 30 years ago. The protests this week eventually turned violent, and as of now, at least 500 people are reported injured.
1: Russia's lower
0: house of parliament approved President Putin's new constitutional changes on Thursday in the first of three votes that they'll need to approve Putin's move. On the surface, the changes that the president introduced give parliament the power to appoint cabinet members, gives the president the right to form the state council, and limits the president to two terms instead of just two consecutive terms, which is what it says right now. So it kind of mixes a strengthening and a limiting of the presidency. And it's still unclear why Putin is introducing these changes now, four years before his term as president ends. Critics of him think this is a plot for Putin to extend his grip on power, but it's not clear yet how, and Putin has remained totally poker-faced all week. Putin is really averse to doing anything too blunt when it comes to enlarging his power, and he always likes to have the veneer of a democratic process. But sooner or later, it's bound to come out how this move benefits him. Last week, I did a deep dive on this enigmatic president. So if you haven't listened yet, please check it out.
1: The question is that motions B to E be agreed to en bloc. As many of that opinion will say, content? content? The country not content, the contents have it.
0: Big news out of the UK this week is that the Brexit bill has finally become law. It passed the House of Lords this week and got the royal assent, which means it's gotten over all the obstacles to become law. It still needs to be ratified by the EU Parliament, though. And it's important to note that in spite of the Prime Minister's campaign slogan, Get Brexit Done, this is actually just step one of what could possibly be kind of a grueling process. So once the UK leaves on 31st, the country has a year to come up with a new trading agreement with the EU now that it's outside of the bloc. If an agreement can't be reached by January 2021, then the UK will exit this transition period without a deal. And with that, it's time for this week's Deep Dive. So, Dr. Honigsbaum, what exactly happened in the last week or two that suddenly this mysterious virus from China is all over the news?
1: What seems to happened is that what began as a small outbreak at a seafood market on New Year's Day has grown quite rapidly. To judge by pictures coming out now overnight from Wuhan, patients are besieging emergency wards. There's panic. There's widespread anxiety. You're starting to see um, doctors posting uh, things online about the stress of having to see 100 patients a day how they're running out of diagnostic equipment. So we've got a real emergency on our hands in China now.
0: Is that contained to the Wuhan area or is it beyond Wuhan, that emergency?
1: Well, I mean, we know that there are now something like 35 million people under sort of lockdown or restrictive movements in 12 cities in China. Um, so it's really everywhere in China. It's, it's crossed into Nepal. It's crossed into Hong Kong. There have been cases reported in Thailand, South Korea, Australia as well. So there are introductions now all over the world. I mean, there's clearly a serious problem in China because uh, we're now seeing third or fourth generation spread. So- uh, What do you you mean by that? Well, I mean, maybe we should back up to the beginning of the story. So what do we know about coronaviruses? Well, We know coronaviruses usually reside in wild animals. Uh, So the first big coronavirus outbreak uh, in 2002, 2003, known as Severe uh, Acquired Respiratory System, or SARS for short, was traced to civic cats, which are a wild game animal, uh, which considered a delicacy in China. And like many other uh, game, uh, they're sold at these live animal markets, also known as wet markets. The thing is that we don't know for sure where the latest coronavirus outbreak, what what animal came from. All we know is that the first people to contract it had all gone to this animal market in Wuhan. It was actually called a seafood wholesale market. But despite the name, there were also wild animals on sale. My understanding is they include things like wolf cubs, crocodiles and snakes.
0: Wow. So to back up to the SARS outbreak of 2002, so you're saying that it's the same, we can put it under the same umbrella category of virus that was also a coronavirus?
1: Yeah, so the common cold is a coronavirus, okay? Oh, okay? Of course, we've known about the cold virus for ages. It's not considered particularly interesting. But the point is that until 2002, we certainly hadn't seen a coronavirus like SARS that caused very severe illnesses and fatal pneumonias in some people. That's what was new, scary, and different about SARS.
0: So for the SARS epidemic, what happened back then? How long did it take for us to realize that this was happening? and what was China's response to it at the time?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. I mean, so basically, we now know, we didn't know this at the time, and this is important, that SARS emerged in southern China, in Guangdong. At the time, there was a lot of confusion. Remember remember, nobody knew that this was a new coronavirus, okay? So what physicians and health authorities were saying? were people presenting with fevers, coughing, respiratory symptoms, all the same symptoms you'd expect with influenza. At the same time, though, the Chinese were very slow to share information. So what happened is health experts in Hong Kong and the WHO headquarters in Geneva and elsewhere started making inquiries, but they met with a lot of denial. Um, didn't. Well, the Chinese government, the authorities, in the regional authorities initially, they wouldn't allow foreign uh, medical research teams on to do their own checks. They didn't share information. Uh, and it wasn't really until the first SARS case appeared in Hong Kong that pressure stepped up. This time around, it's been completely different. They very rapidly this time analyzed virus samples, confirmed it was a coronavirus, And most importantly of all, they very quickly published the genetic sequence of the virus online. Why is that important? Well, it's important because it means that scientists now all over the world can start to look at the virus's sequence and try and find where are the weak points. Can we make a vaccine and can we roll out clinical trials before this epidemic is over? One of the tragedies of the SARS epidemic is that we didn't develop a vaccine. We didn't even find any effective treatment drugs. So right now, there is no drug or no, and no vaccine for this new coronavirus out of Wuhan. When you have a new virus and you don't know how efficiently it's transmitted, you don't know what the proportion of severe illnesses are or and who the at-risk groups are, And when you add in the fact that you have no treatment, no cure, no vaccine, then the downside of that could be catastrophic.
0: So to go back to what you were saying before about how this time around China kind of has learned its lesson and it's been very forthcoming with its data and publishing the genetic sequence online, which is great. But I'm wondering if we think about when this outbreak started a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago, in retrospect, some of the information that came out at the time was was wrong. You know, we were told there's no human-to-human transmission possible, that health workers weren't contracting the virus. Mm-hmm. And just, does it seem to you a little bit suspicious that the information at the beginning of the outbreak was wrong, and then because it was underestimating the virus, it allowed it to spread in the way that it spread, where people have been traveling freely out of Wuhan since the outbreak?
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I, I think that there is a case to be made that, you know, uh, the Chinese could have moved a little bit more quickly. On the other hand, the fact that they've even been able to contemplate quarantining a city of 11 million people, right? That's a city of the size of London. That they're even, con- I mean, that's never been attempted before in the whole history of quarantines.
0: What persuaded them to take such a drastic step like that?
1: Well, I mean, it's exactly what you said, because of the lessons that were learnt during SARS. And one of the principal lessons was that the people most at risk were doctors and nurses who were coming into contact with highly infectious patients and didn't have proper protection. So uh, from what I've seen, and this is just judging by the, the images of uh, doctors and nurses in hazmat suits with masks and goggles, uh, they seem to have the right equipment. But on the other hand, what I'm now reading is that they're, you know, because they're so overwhelmed with patients and some nurses are saying that on their shifts, they're having to see 100 100- patients during that shift. Uh, There aren't enough diagnostic equipment to confirm that it's a coronavirus infection. We've seen the first death of a prominent Chinese doctor, so presumably had this protective equipment. There are now reports that maybe you can catch the virus through respiratory droplets infecting your eyes. So they're saying we have to wear goggles as well as masks. So uh, I think for all these reasons, the Chinese realize that they have a very serious problem on their hands and have to you know, act with due caution and diligence.
0: So the steps that China's taken, quarantining a city of seven million people is totally unprecedented. 11 million. 11 million people, oh my God, is unprecedented. And I wonder if this is something kind of unique to China in that they could even accomplish something like that, that they would even be able to quarantine an entire city. So would you say that there's something about the control that's uniquely exerted by the Communist Party that they can actually take these steps?
1: I mean, we only have to do a thought experiment Imagine if uh, tomorrow you woke up and you read that Transport for London had suspended services on the Tube. Not only that, but they were closing all the mainline train stations. And the government had uh, grounded flights at Heathrow, Gatwick and Luton. And by the way, you couldn't hop in your car up the M1 or M5 because you weren't allowed to leave the city. The, if there would be chaos, mayhem. It, it would be impossible. You could not contemplate it in London. Yeah. But China, because they're an authoritarian government, it's a high-surveillance society. Most people have identity cards, and people are kind of used, uh, I mean, many people don't like it, just like here, but it's a far more compliant society. The government, they have highly kind of militarized police force, and you've seen these scenes uh, of police ringing the train station with barricades. So um, I think that they're able to mobilize on a much faster and bigger scale than we could ever contemplate in Europe or North America. And I think that from the point of view of the rest of the world, we should probably be thankful for that. <laughs> uh, although I have tremendous sympathy for the citizens now locked inside yeah. this Cordon Sanitaire in Wuhan, who must be wondering if the government's abandoned them um, yeah. and what they might not be telling. You know, your imagination must run riot when you're, you're just holed up in your, your apartment with how many a days' supply of food the streets are deserted, and you're seeing all sorts of rumors and disinformation online.
0: Yeah. This might be a hard question to answer, but what are you predicting the next week or two weeks? Or what do you kind of imagine is going to be the next steps of this epidemic?
1: Well, I think for sure, we're going to see more cases popping up in the United States, but probably also in Europe. I can't imagine we won't have a case uh, in the UK sometime in the next week. We know that 2000 travellers returned from Wuhan in the past week. So I think we're going to see more cases around the world. What I hope won't happen is that we see secondary cases developing from those introductions that obviously would raise the concern massively.
0: Did that happen Um, with SARS? uh,
1: Yeah, so one of the worst affected cities during SARS. I mean, actually, maybe I should tell you the story because I think it's it's a fascinating example of how airborne viruses like SARS and this coronavirus spread. Uh, So what happened was we know that the virus was introduced to Hong Kong when an elderly Chinese doctor checked into a budget hotel in Kowloon the Metropole Hotel. So he checked into a room on the ninth floor of that hotel. And somewhere in his leaving his room and getting in the lift, the elevator, he came into contact with other tourists who were staying in that hotel. He then reported himself to hospital because he fell ill. But the very next day, I think something like 16 people who had just come into passing contact with him in the elevator or in the corridors, they're not hopped on planes. And they, in the process, they introduced the virus to Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, Australia. And Toronto. Wow. And in Toronto, several members of the same Chinese family were affected. They then went to the emergency room at a hospital called the Scarborough Grace in Toronto. And once there, they transmitted the infection to several other people who had just gone there for for other sorts of medical attention, as well as several doctors and nurses. Uh, And this was a massive problem. It led to the lockdown of the entire hospital. There were home quarantines uh, in Toronto and other parts of Ontario. I mean, Toronto ground to a halt. All economic activity ceased for the duration of the outbreak. Yeah. So that's kind
0: Uh of what to look out for if we start seeing these secondary cases in the next couple of weeks.
1: I mean, you know, the other thing to realize Theron, is, is that often, of course, you know, the health impacts are concerning. It would be terrifying if it became a true pandemic. But one of the things we have to realize is, that, you know, some of the, the most pernicious effects are through the way that they affect our social anxieties, the way they spread fear. Mm. But also, you know, I mean, SARS, it's estimated that SARS costs the global economy 40 billion. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah, I mean, Asian stock markets crashed. People involved in big banks in Hong Kong were sent home. When you ground flights, the tourist industry, hotel industry takes a massive hit. In Toronto, the film industry basically shut down. You know, uh, they make lots of films there. That stopped for a long time. So the sort of social and economic effects of these outbreaks, these epidemic scares, can be just as damaging as the, the virus itself.
0: And that's our show. A massive thanks to Dr. Mark Honigsbaum for lending his expertise. Tune in next week for another episode of Where We Are with Terrence Sewell.